Hello, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Christian, and today our guest is Alex. He comes on to speak about his life and experience going through foster care and his participation in a documentary called Possible Selves. It follows Alex and another youth throughout their high school years, less so on the actual foster care system and more so on their lived experiences. More information will be posted in the description so you can check it out. Let's get into it. Remember to stay present and aware of your surroundings. Take a deep breath in and tell yourself, you are here. So it was it was 2015 when we started recording. Mm, Okay, Um, and it went until about 2020, 2019, I believe. That's probably around when we got our last bits of recording in. Um, And then obviously, you know, COVID hit, and it slowed the whole process down. Like, um, because people were editing remotely rather than you know, kind of being together, being able to brainstorm and work on things together at least at like the start of the pandemic, because people were still very cautious and, you know, scared about getting COVID. So everybody was, uh, you know, separate, but as time carried on, um, we were able to get the entire thing finished. Um, we premiered it with the human rights watch festival. Um, and then we also premiered it with Newport. Newport Beach Film Festival, which was really cool. They they had us come out and do a live Q&A for that as well. Um, yeah, that was a ton of fun. It, it's just nice being able to see, um, you know, the, the film that you've been a part of for so long, finally experienced by others. Yeah. Uh, and there are two versions. Um, one version is about an hour long and that's because we got a deal with PBS. They're going to do national broadcasting for it in 2024. Wow. Uh, yeah. Which that that's really cool. I'm really excited for that. And then there's an hour and a half long version, which is for educational purposes, like um, PCC Pasadena city college is going to be hosting a live viewing of it doing during foster youth awareness month next May. They've already confirmed uh, UCLA has actually just signed on as well to host a screening of it in November for their faculty and their uh, local communities as well. So that, that's all very ex- exciting, and I cannot wait to you know, speak more about it. Yeah, you know, at these at these events. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's that's really good to hear. I'm actually really excited because um, I saw that there's ways to to watch, but I was like, I wanted I wanted to see like what the premiere would be like or there's any events that you'd be holding yeah, yeah yeah so ucla will have one in november i can keep you up to date with that one um honestly <laughs> Bless you. I, would, I would say thank you i would say right now as an individual it's very hard to see um i mean you could pay for like the educational rights to to you know share it but mm-hmm. In my opinion, if you're just an individual just trying to watch it, I would say come to one of the live events or wait till we're distributing it. Um, 
for individuals over like you know these educational events and whatnot yeah that's that's awesome so so tell me more about um tell me more about yourself and and some of the things that you had to experience because i know that the the documentary is going to cover um, a portion of your life but um tell me more about like when you were younger and some of the things that you're you yeah, faced with so i'll start i'll give you kind of a of an overview you know mm-hmm. of my life and whatnot and then um and then I'll, I'll you know go back to the beginning and we'll we'll get into the specifics so we'll start when i was young um i was born into a biracial uh salvadoran and white household my mm-hmm. mom was white my father was salvadoran first generation um Let's see, moving on, you know, my parents split. They were never really married. They were just boyfriend, girlfriend. They yeah. they split when I was at a young age, maybe around two. Um, my mom got back into drugs because she was sober when she had me. Mm. And my grandmother started taking care of me. So my grandmother started taking me, care of me around, I'd say when I was four years old. Let, let's, let's say four. Okay. Um, you know, I, I live, that, and that's kind of where I got into to Altadena. We always lived up here. Mm-hmm. So from about four until 12, um, I lived with her and an abusive partner um, of hers. And, you know, that's kind of why I got back into foster care, even after yeah. she had adopted me. So at 12, I'm at the Pasadena uh, DCFS office, mm-hmm. which is over on Walnut, I believe. Um, and they asked you, you know, do you want to go back home or do you want to go into foster care? I said, uh, I would, I would prefer foster care just cause I, I didn't want to go back that bad. Yeah. Um, so yeah, 2012 around August, early August, late July, I believe it was July 27th of, uh, 2012. Um, that's when I kind of started foster care. Unfortunate for me, um, it's very hard to find homes for anybody and any child over the age of 12. It's incredibly difficult because nobody really wants to take care of an adolescent. Yeah. You know, whether it's the mood swings or the disruptive behavior or the fact that it's kind of hard to take in somebody that old and make them a part of your family, Uh you know, as opposed to adopting like a three-year-old or a four-year-old, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, I would, I would, I would, I would assume it's just like a bunch of factors, whether it be resilience from the the adoptees or the the individual, because yeah, you really have they to make. find a match. Yeah, it's, there's got to be a lot of factors that play into that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I actually I ended up my very first placement was an emergency thirty day shelter. Um. Hmm. And, you know, there's different grade levels for group homes. And this was considered a a group home technically. So a group home is like, imagine a normal house, right? You just, you just walk into your house. There's locks on all the cabinets. All the sharp objects are, are locked up with padlocks on them. Um, and there's about six of you there, all boys ranging for, usually ranging from about 
12 to 18, usually no younger than 12. Like I said, because it's, it's, you know, younger than 12, it's easier to find them a placement. Yeah. Um, so I'm at this emergency shelter. That's six boys and basically a rotating staff. Like there's no real parents there. It's mm. just people come, they clock in. You have somebody come do an overnight, you know, bedtime is around 10 o'clock. Um, I personally really liked it because um, I like the idea of having like brothers or friends Okay. And then, like, the idea of having no parents to tell you guys really what to do. I mean, even though the, the staff <laughs> was there to tell you, like, hey, don't do this, don't do that. They didn't look after you like a parent would. Yeah. So, and to younger me, it was like, oh, my God, this is like a play date, like a long play date. Um, <laughs> obviously, I didn't look at it like that because, I mean, you know, not all the kids are good. Like, a lot of the kids, um, well, I, it, it's kind of hard to determine you know, the the line between good and bad starts to become kind of spotty yeah. when you're talking about foster care because you start to question, are these bad kids or is it their environment that has led them to these circumstances? You know, had you yeah. placed them in a different environment, would they have turned out differently? Yeah, and I'm sure they've all probably dealt with some sort of trauma that's cause or some sort of behavior right oh yeah i mean you know over the years in foster care you hear so many so many stories about what people have gone through um okay so just to move on with the timeline mm -hmm. i go from this emergency shelter to this foster family up in santa clarita um very militant foster family um in terms of like they're very regimented and they want things done a certain way. Um, slight cultural barrier. Um, they were um, black Americans from uh, Georgia. Okay. And, you know, me being a, a Salvadoran white kid, I didn't know much about black culture or, or things like that just because I didn't grow up. Um like in a household like that. Yeah, yeah. But some of the it, it was honestly the best thing I needed that that regiment, that very strict style family is really what I needed cuz when I was young, I would be out you know, whenever I wanted, I'd do whatever I want. I you know, I wasn't really a bad kid, but I just knew no boundaries. Mm, and as gotcha. soon as I got there, it was like, "Hey, you got to wake up at 6 a.m." wash your face brush your teeth and oh and they were serious about that if my rag like cause they gave me a face like a face rag uh -huh. if my face rag was not damp <laughs> they would call the school and in my first period because this was when i was 12 so i was going to a junior high school like right down the block uh -huh. like, i'd walk to school every morning they'd call the school i'd go up to the front office and they say you know what you forgot this morning i was like what they say you forgot to wash your face, forgot to brush your teeth, you know, whatever it was. You forgot to take your ADHD medication. And I was like, damn. And it got to the point where the school was like, hey, you have got to stop calling. You were taking him out of class, you know, like, but they were serious about it. You know, you got to do this stuff. Yeah. And if I messed up too many times, they'd put me on, they wouldn't call it grounding me or, or disciplining me. They'd call it punishment. Oh, you're on punishment now. 
And um, I just felt like the whole time I was there, I always had my phone taken away or I had, <laughs> you know, like I was just always in some type of trouble. But looking back, that's what I needed. You know, I needed people who were going to teach yeah. me boundaries, teach me how to get up and do stuff for myself. Um, so great, great family. Oh, and it was the the dynamic that made it like not weird, but kind of made um, made things different was it wasn't a husband and a wife. It was a mother and her son. The mother oh. was like grandmother age. She was like in her 60s. Her son was in her 40s. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, man, it was, it was cool though. I really liked them. Yeah. And but then. It just, yeah. It just shows that like, you never know what kind of dynamic you're going to need or where it's exactly. going to come from. Exactly. That's, that, that's cool though. That's, uh, and yeah. it, it was, it was, it's funny because it's like looking, always looking back, especially when, uh, when I think back for myself or other guests, it's always like the things that seemed like uh, we're taking away, right. Or we're being harsh. They're always coming from like either a place of concern or just, uh, just trying to give what they think we need. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. And you know, it's, uh, I, I don't know if you were told this a lot as kid, but, you know, they always say, oh, you'll understand when you're older or you'll get it when you look back. And <laughs> yeah. even at that time, I was like, no, I get why you're doing it now, but I think it's just dumb. But you, they're, they're right. You really don't get what point they're trying to get across to you until yeah. you're older and looking back. Um, So I was with them for two years. I was with them from seventh grade to about my freshman year of high school, maybe like my first semester of freshman year. Okay. Then I moved in with my uncle um, and my little brother, because I have five siblings, all half siblings. Okay. Um, all of them were born addicted to drugs besides me. Mm. And I'm the second youngest. Um, anyway, so back to the storyline. So I'm with my uncle for about three months or so, maybe, yeah. maybe from December of 20, December of 2014 to about, late January. Okay. So two months, late January of 2015. And, um, you know, some stuff happened. Um, I was hanging out with my friends. They were smoking weed. I wasn't, but it was on like, you know, school, uh, school can or school grounds. Gotcha. So I kind of got tied up into it, even though I did nothing. Uh, you know, they, they do this thing where they'll smell your hands or they'll, you know, make you take a drug test, whatever. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, nothing came back on me. But because the other kids were scared, they said, like, oh, I, I had to, like, I was there smoking with them and whatnot. Because they were scared they were going to get, like, suspended or expelled or whatever. So they just, like. Uh, you know, so kind of told told the people whatever they wanted to hear, which yeah. I guess I mean at the end of the day it's my fault for hanging out with those kind of people, and I stopped hanging out with them later on. Um, but yeah, so my uncle who wanted to just protect my brother because you know we have a history of drug abuse in our family. Mm -hmm. Um, he was really just looking out for my brother. He was like, you know, you can't stay here, and uh, mm -hmm. 
<clears throat> so, you know, I understood. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, here's the hard part. So for the first time since I was in foster care, I am actively looking for a foster home. Now, the only difference is now I'm 15 instead of 12, making it even harder. I remember we were on the phone with a foster uh, with the foster parent, and they even put me on the phone. And she's like, look, I wish I could, but I have, you know, I have a three-year-old daughter. I, I can't just take a 15-year-old a boy, um, you know, on the spot like that. Yeah. Which kind of put it into perspective with me is not only are, uh, are these people giving you, you know, kind of a place to stay, but they're really trusting you with either their children or their, sorry, hold up. <coughs> either, bless you. Thank you. Either their children or their personal belongings or, you know, even their, just their house in general in terms of value, like they're trusting you to come in and, and yeah. not destroy the place. And um, so this, this is probably what was the hardest part about my foster care experience. So I had to go to an emergency. So unlike the first emergency shelter, which was for 30 days, this was a 24 hour emergency shelter. Um, so it was in one of USC's old hospitals in downtown LA. Um, oh, like in a lot, well, maybe not downtown LA, but in LA and um, it was a building that wasn't used anymore. So they made the lobby an emergency 24 hour shelter for foster youth. Okay. So I go there, they take my phone, they take any sharp objects on me, like pens, pencils, whatever. They take my wallet, they put it in a manila envelope and put it in a locker that I can't get to. And then they make me change into a white t-shirt, blue sweats. And I basically have to sit in this, um, like imagine just a hospital waiting room. Yeah. It's like that. I have to sit in there and just talk to the other kids. There's an Xbox on the wall that only had access to a demo for, um, what was that one? Like Rayman <laughs> or something like that. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it only had access to like a demo for that. So I played the demo like at least 30 times. Um, <laughs> oh, man. And at night they pull out these foldable beds and you can sleep on the foldable beds. I remember I stayed there for three days. You're only allowed to stay there for 24 hours. My social mm. worker would come pick me up the next morning. We'd go out, we'd get lunch or something. And then at the end of the day, she'd bring me back. All, all oh, the, okay. all the uh, while she's like looking for a placement for me. Uh huh. Um. Yeah. So that went on for three days until they finally said, "Hey, you know, we found you a group home out in Carson." I was oh. like, I was like, yeah. okay. So I, I moved from Altadena to Santa Clarita, from Santa Clarita. Or sorry, I moved from Altadena to the emergency shelter in Torrance. From Torrance, I moved oh, all the wow. way to a foster family in, in Santa Clarita. From Santa Clarita, I moved all the way back to Carson. Oh, wow. I'm at this new group home. I love it, man. I love being in the group home. You got like a uh, every two weeks you get an allowance. I got $50 every two weeks. I thought I was rich. <laughs> um, But they were just some cool, like, 
the kids, man, uh, Daniel, Angel, Terrell, Samuel, and Christian. Um, so I was probably the third youngest. Terrell and Samuel were younger than me. Um, there's an 18 year old who was doing extended school because he flunked his senior year. Uh-huh. A, uh, his name was Angel. Then there was Daniel, who I think was 17 when I was 15. And then there was Christian, who was 16 when I was 15. Um, really cool place. It's where I learned how to fight because we would all get into one room and it, w- it was never like harsh or it was never <laughs> like there was no malice involved in it. Yeah. But we would always just like, it was like a fight club. Everybody would get into one person's room. Because <laughs> there's only three rooms and there's two beds per room. So we'd all get into, you know, one room and we all just start fighting each other. Just like, but the rule was you can't hit each other in the head because if you hit somebody in the head, you're going to bruise their face. And if you mm. bruise their face, then the staff will find out. And then, yeah. and then we can't do it at all. But man, I like every day I'd have bruises all over my chest, all over my stomach. Like it would just look like I got hit with a battering ram. Oh man. Um, but it was fun, man. You know, like as a fifteen year old boy, I'm just like It's an outlet, know, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't even like that because I wasn't really aggressive. I just liked rough housing. Like that's oh, just okay. how I how I was. Um and then like I was there for about three months and we did tons of cool stuff, man. We would we would go to the park, we would um we would smoke, we would hang out, we would, you know, always as a group, we'd always stick together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't really, there were no issues there. Like nobody really got in trouble. You know, nobody really, everything was good there. Um, however, so we went to three different, well, four different schools technically, because there were some kids in junior high. Um, you could go to Carson High School. You could go to Rancho Dominguez Preparatory School in Long Beach. Okay. Or you could go to, um, or well, I, I guess you couldn't go to, but um, Angel, the oldest kid, was doing, you know, the extended school. Yeah. He went to that school. I forgot the name of it. So you could go to Carson or Rancho Dominguez. So Carson was just known as the better school in general. It was probably your standard run-of-the-mill high school. Rancho Dominguez Preparatory School had only been open for four years by the time I got there. It's a super brand new school. Everything looks, you know, high end. Uh, There, it's a four-story school. Just to put that into perspective, yeah, (laughs) yeah. it's four stories and it's like a a big box shape. And there's an outdoor track, outdoor field, whatever. Um, Now, the only thing with this school is it had almost been shut down twice in the four years. Oh, wow. Reason being is there's a lot of gang violence and a lot of race wars there. Um, mm. Black kids and Mexican kids hated each other there. And, you know, you could, you could kind of tell, I mean, there was obviously kids that were there just for school and, and kids that were uninvolved with any gang activity. You could kind of tell, like, if a Hispanic man had, like, these black knitted gloves, dickies, and like this oversized hoodie on. And, you know, it's, it's California. 
it's middle of spring so it's already like 80 degrees 90 degrees if he's wearing all that then you kind of you know you know to kind of steer away from steer away from him yeah yeah um now this is the biggest thing this is all still my freshman year mind you so i had joined band in junior high playing trumpet got to high school then i started learning another instrument called baritone um and it was really cool a lot of fun loved it then i went to this new school because you know all that stuff had happened i went to this new school yeah um their music program was terrible the teacher did not care everything was practically independent um no, I mean, there, yeah. other than that, there was a lot of other issues. I went from this, uh, the William S. Hart School District to the L.A. Unified School District, which um, things get taught kind of backwards, like where I learn. So, like, let's say I learned one set of things up in Santa Clarita, uh-huh. and I'm supposed to learn a different set of things. Well, when I transferred to L.A. USD, um, we learned what I was supposed to, or well, they had learned what I was supposed to learn first semester. Oh. And so now second semester, I was learning everything that they were. You had already learned. Yeah. That I had already uh, learned. And, um, it was just really, you know, it was really messed up. Yeah. And, uh, how was your, um, how was your overall experience or just like interest in school at this point? Um, oh, I mean, I love school. Growing up, I wanted to be a physicist. Like, I, mm, I love okay. science. I love all that. Um, I loved music, though, and I didn't realize how much I loved music till I was in this terrible music program. Um, so fast forward a couple months, one of my friends reaches out and says, hey, you know, my, my family, one of my friends from marching band, because I'd done marching band. Um, says, Hey, you know, my family is serious. They want to take you in. Um, could you give me your social workers contact info? And I'm like jumping for joy. Um, I send the info over, Mm -hmm. you know, they get their house checked out. They get, um, you know, they get everything basically situated and improved by the time spring break rolls around. Um, by the time spring break rolls around, I'm not even going back to that old school. You know, I, I, I did a week long visit over my spring break with said family. And this is the family that you'll see in the documentary. Okay. Um, I did a week long visit with them over my spring break. And then I just stayed with them. They said, you know, the court approved for you to stay. And what's even cool now I'm back in my old school. Um, what I thought was the coolest part though, was I got two weeks of spring break because they did in LAUSD. They did it a week earlier William S. Hart they did it a week later <laughs> so I basically had two weeks of spring break it was super cool however I get back to classes and now everybody's three months ahead of me I don't know anything that's going on oh man besides like I mean like English classes are always easy and whatnot but like math for example man I had no clue what was going on oh um, yeah I mean even missing one week of math can set you back <laughs> yeah um just i was super happy to be back and i had a newfound appreciation for music and the music program that we had had um so you know after all that 
you said kinda, you, you had switched to to baritone what was it what was it about music that that was really like you found your passion in it well it was just i picked up everything easy in music like uh like it, you could give me a brass instrument i'd learn it like nothing like i remember so I, I started trumpet i learned baritone and then my junior year no was it my junior year my sophomore year I learned trombone within four months of knowing trombone. I made my district wide honor jazz band. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Which is really cool. I made it as third chair trombone. Um, nice. Nice. And then my junior year, I made um, my junior year. I learned tuba, but I also, so I still did the jazz band. I, I did honor jazz um honor jazz i ended up getting lead trombone so meaning i was i had the best high range i was the best candidate for it so now i'm lead trombone for honor jazz and then i'm second chair baritone for the classical honor band dang yeah <laughs> which was really cool so then my senior year rolls around well so my junior year i had this girlfriend probably my first like serious relationship um and we had dated for about a year and eight months, almost two years. Um, but she was a year older than me. So it's mm. my junior year. It's her senior year. Um, our marching band came like third place in SESBOA, which is like Southern California marching band uh, division. Right on. Um, we came third place. We got like a medal. It was really cool. Now it's my senior year. Um and this is where things kind of start to spray or splay mentally for me. Now uh-huh. my girlfriend is in Arizona going to school for um, organic chemical engineering, something like that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was something like that. And then um, so my girlfriend and I are long distance now. Um now I'm band president, um, section leader for the, uh, for the low brass section. Um, I also had auditions for drum corps international coming up. Um, I was focused on graduating, you know, going to college, whatnot. Then there was this pressure around the house because the father was going to lose his job with Warner brothers, um, mm. because they had brought in a whole new management staff and they were just clearing out you know, all the old employees. So he had to be on like his best behavior there, which he, he did. He did pretty well. Um, inevitably, inevitably he got fired, I believe, but that wasn't until after they had kicked me out. Um, so yeah, senior year, I got all this stuff going on, you know, the legal guardians are fighting. Um, my brother, well, my legal guardian's son, his girlfriend moved in with us because um, she had issues going on and we had just moved into this bigger house, um, um, you know, beautiful house. So it had a pool in the back. It was two stories. It, it was in a nice, quiet cul-de-sac, probably the best house I've ever lived in. Um, anyway, so, you know, senior years, you know, yeah, everything, all this stress. Everything is kind of just building to a yeah. head. Yeah. And so 
you know, I, I get all these accomplishments again. I got the Louis Armstrong Jazz Award. I got um, I got second chair trombone for honor jazz. And the way chairs work is like, if you're lead chair, you play like the highest part. But if you're second chair, you get all the solos. So I got all the solos that year for honor jazz for the trombone section. Nice. Um, and then like, uh, oh, and then, so I felt confident enough, like tuba had become my main instrument. Um, I auditioned for honor classical band on tuba and I ended up getting first chair tuba, um, which that was really cool. But you have, like, you have so your whole list of, your whole list of accolades right here. Well, yeah, this is so, cool. This is yeah, cool. It was really cool. You know, I'm at like this high point in life because everything was stressful. Now everything's working out. I got into the drum corps I wanted to get into, which was the Sacramento Mandarins. We made history that year. Uh, the first time in, I believe it's 55 year history that they had ever made finals. We made finals. We got 10th place. Um, Amazing go. show. I made amazing friends. I toured the entire country. We played, we performed in the Rose Bowl, performed in the Alamo Dome, performed at Lucas Oil Stadium, uh, the Buffalo Bills Stadium, performed everywhere, toured the whole country practically. Nice. Um, Hell yeah. It was amazing. That, that was after I graduated. I actually skipped my, my high school graduation to stay on tour. I could have went back, but I was just like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to leave this right now. Yeah. So, oh, and, and mind you, the drum corps I'm in, I'm with my girlfriend now because she also did it. Oh, um, okay. So we're on how you guys, together. Is that how you guys met? Well, we met through marching band, like, during my whole time at high school. But gotcha. we started dating my junior year and her senior year. Um, But we both were interested in doing drum corps, which is like an extracurricular thing. It's, it doesn't have to do with school. Um, oh, okay. So we tour, and then this is where, like, we start getting upset with each other. And, you know, because I, I slacked a lot. You know, it was my first year. I was figuring things out. Um, I wish I would have done better, like, in terms of my own personal performance overall. Uh -huh. But, like, that just put a lot of stress on her and I, um, and kind of, you know, being together for 85 days straight over the summer from like late May until early August, oh, just kind of, yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so yeah, we ended up breaking up afterwards, but then I got back, uh, we, so yeah, so I got back the day, actually the night that I got back home from Sacramento. Because we toured the whole country, and then we drove straight from Indianapolis all the way back to Sacramento. Woo. Then from Sacramento, I drove back down to Southern California, and um, and she calls me, and she's like, hey, I think we should break up. Like, you know, I've been thinking about this, and I was like, damn. Um, so then that happened, and then about two days later, I get word from my legal guardians hey um you're gonna have to find a new place to live basically like we're kicking you out we think you're contempt with uh what we've provided for you i was like oh okay what the uh, heck yeah they were upset because oh well i had mentioned to them i wanted to move out because they were talking about well i didn't mention why 
which maybe that was something bad on my part, but they were talking about all the financial issues they were going through. They were talking about selling the house coming spring. Uh, so, so I thought like, you know, maybe if I tell them I want to move, like I tell them my plans because I wanted to move out with my friends. Uh-huh. Um, I was like, you know, maybe if I tell them my plans, they'll, um, you know, they'll be like happier. Maybe it'll be like less stressful for them. Yeah. They saw that more as like, you already had a plan. Yeah. Like, oh, I just wanted to leave. So, uh, so I was like, okay. Um, they said, you have until Sunday to figure out where you're going to go. And then I got another text an hour later saying, actually, don't even bother coming inside. We've already put all your stuff down in the garage. Come get it when you want it. What the heck? Um, so I showed up and all my stuff was in black trash bags. And mind you, I'm 18. I just came back. I felt like a rock star on tour. You know, I felt like I was on top of the world. I had little kids who would show up to the shows. They wanted to, oh, can I take a picture with you? And stuff like that to yeah. to all of a sudden... Yeah, and, and it's just it's. I mean, I don't you know if you're not comfortable getting to the process of it, um, because this is more about your journey. But it just kind of amazes me like how simple it seems for them to just like be able to make that decision, you know. Well, so in my eyes, I don't think it was simple for them. I don't think it was like a split decision. I think that was something they were thinking over the course of my senior year. That they mm-hmm. finally were just like, okay, you know, uh, it's time for you to go. Yeah, but like, um, but like to be able to just to have that like such short of a timeline would just be like, hey, Sunday you got to get out, and it's just like, oh man. Well, yeah, and then they didn't even give me to Sunday. It was Tuesday, so I had from Tuesday to Sunday to figure it out, and then they said, actually, don't even bother coming inside. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, oh wow I don't know I've spoken to them since well not them but I spoke to the mother since uh-huh. Um, and I was really confused and I felt you know I know this word gets thrown around a lot but I felt almost gaslighted because she was like um, she's like we should talk about you know kind of what happened and I was like okay She she reached out to me I said, okay, sounds good. Uh, I think I was about 19 or 20 at the time. Uh Um, And, you know, we're talking about it. I said, well, you know, kind of just caught me off guard. Um, I I didn't see it, it coming at all. Yeah. And she said, oh, don't pretend you didn't know what was going on. Um. You know, like you were very contempt with us and, you know, and you didn't, well, I mean, like over the summer, I didn't text them that much. You know, they were, mind you, they were in England having a vacation while I was touring the country. Oh, so you were all doing your own thing. Yeah. And mind you, so like, I'm not going to text them all the time. I'm not going to, you know, and it goes both ways. I texted them. I called them a couple of times during what's known as spring training, which is about a month of learning the show and doing like physical conditioning yeah um i texted i called them a few times but then i remember like on my way back on that that road trip i was telling you from indianapolis to sacramento uh-huh. I, I got a text she's like oh you know you're gonna really have to work hard to get uh the father and, and the son's uh 
kind of like you're gonna have to you're gonna have to do a lot to get on their good side i was like i was so confused by the text i was like what like what did i do yeah you know um and the funny part is they didn't text me they didn't call me so they want me to just reach out to them you know like it has to be one way yeah Um, that's strange so she's like oh don't so back to like the conversation she's saying oh don't uh don't play dumb don't act like you don't um or you didn't see what was going on and i was just like damn okay um i can't remember exactly what i said but i just remember leaving it there just in my mind being like this isn't going to get anywhere good yeah um and so here's the weird part. I think they were just kicking me out because they had their own issues going on. Uh-huh. I say that because I've heard of multiple reasons that they had kicked me out. Um, one was that, well, so the first one, obviously the one that they texted me, they thought I was content with what they had, what I had given or they had given me, like, you uh-huh. know, a place to stay, the opportunity to succeed, whatnot. Um, two, they told somebody else they thought this was like three or four years later, by the way. So, this is when this is actually recently, maybe when I was like 21. Oh, okay. Um, they told the director of the film because he reached out to them. He was because he covered, you know, kind of my experience when I got kicked out and he wanted to be as fair as possible and allow them to, you know, talk about their side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they roughly said something in an email, but declined to, you know, do any voice or any film. Yeah, they don't want to be on. Basically, on yeah, they told him that they thought I was doing drugs and drinking, which was funny because I, I was completely clean during high school. Um, their son had done a couple edibles with his girlfriend, which I mean. You know, even I don't care. It was their senior year. You know, they're 18. Yeah. Um. Even though it's technically illegal. I, I mean, I didn't care. I'm not going to tell them. But so my whole thing was like, okay, so the first one was that I'm contempt. Now it's that you think I'm uh, doing drugs or drinking. Um. And then I mean, there was, a, there was a, th- a third option. <laughs> or there was like a, a, a third one that they had said, I, I'm blanking on it right now. If I remember it, I'll bring it back up. But I remember there being three different reasons. And I was just like, you know, each one just sounds like BS because, yeah, you know, and maybe on their own, it doesn't sound like BS. But then when she tried to like back around and then like gaslight me like two years later to try and convince me that I knew what was going on and I knew I was going to get kicked out. I was just like, oh, okay. It, yeah, to me, it sounds like as just like a lack of communication and then just speculation, yeah. then just speculation from that point, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's like, still, that's just, I just feel like those are drastic decisions to make that can affect yeah. someone's life to just be like, yep. Well, again, I, I just think it was, you know, all the stress yeah. that, that was going on. So I think... <clears throat> the easiest option was just to kick me out rather than, you know, try to work on it or develop trust or develop 
you know, whatever. Yeah. Oh, I need to take a sip of water. No, feel free. Feel free. <laughs> no, I, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's like, from, from my perspective, it's like, okay, we've helped, we've helped you out. And now it's like, I'm not satisfied with how, with like what I've gotten in return yeah and helping you out and so now i'm going to stop which just sounds kind of strange saying it out loud but you know there's a, there must have been a, some other stuff going on but how how do you how do you move on from that um this well, is so, your this was yeah. your um junior year no this is my senior year so your i'm senior done with year. high school um <clears throat> so this is where we get into the mental health Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> girlfriend of almost two years breaks up with me. Two days later, my foster family of three years kicks me out. So now I'm homeless. I'm thinking, like, damn, what am I going to do? I did some couch surfing. There was a family that let me stay with them for a couple months. Great mm-hmm. people. Um, finally... You know, I was working four jobs. I was working Damn. <laughs> at Lowe's. I was teaching high school marching band as a technician, um, as a visual technician, so teaching them how to how to march, how to move, how to dance, how to, you know, whatever. Um, so I worked at Lowe's. I did that. I worked at Popeye's as a fry cook, and I worked at a Juice It Up. And... I, I probably only had the four jobs simultaneously for about a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it That's was up. just too much. Yeah. I was going to say, just saying that out loud sounds wild. <laughs> yeah. So then I kind of dropped down to, um, I dropped down to just lows and then just juice it up and the marching band. Then I quit juice it up. Then I ended up quitting lows. So then I was just teaching marching band, but then the marching season ended. And then by this time I had money to, so I started running out my own room, um, out of, a, so a friend I had known from high school marching band, his mom had a room to rent. So I started renting her room. Okay. Um, I was with them for a few months until I realized, or until I, my social worker told me about what transitional housing is. And at this time I'm 19, um, transitional housing is like there's these different programs for foster youth that will give you a free apartment until you're 21. Mm, Um, Okay. And so, well, you can stay there as long as you're 21. As soon as you're about to turn 22, you have to leave. Um, Gotcha. So this is early 2019. I want to say I was only renting that room for about four months. Then I moved to this transitional housing program called David and Margaret, which is over in Pomona, Laverne, that area, San Dimas. Um, and man, here is like where some more fun begins. <laughs> I, uh, I, so my first roommate, really cool uh, guy, my first, oh, and there's actually two stories about him. Once we get to like what I'm doing about current day. Yeah. Um, Really cool. This was my first 
encounter actually with a with a trans person. Oh, um, okay. He was born a girl, transitioned to a man. Um, really cool guy though. I liked him. Um, he would disappear a lot because his girlfriend, like, owned like his girlfriend's family owned some property in Coachella, like a big ranch. Oh, um, okay. so he would always go to like stagecoach, Coachella, whatever. He was about two years older than me though, because he was about to leave the program. Um, oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. They so were he, part of the same program. Yeah. So we were part of the same program. Really cool. He was my roommate. Didn't really have too many complaints about him. So then he left and, uh, then I was like kind of on my own for a little bit. Uh-huh. And then I got this one roommate. Um, first time, well, cause like in Santa Clarita, there wasn't, I mean, the LGBTQ community was there, but it's not as prominent as it is in areas like LA or closer to the city in general. Yeah. <clears throat> so my next roommate is this young gay man. Um, again, really cool guy. Didn't really have any issues with him. Um, he, he was only with me for about two months and then he left. Uh, he just got too old for the program. Oh. Um, so, you know, I get these two roommates at first, cool, normal. Um, and then, so there's this period of time where it's just me. I'm not going to, well, actually I tried going to school. Um, it was too stressful. I was so depressed from losing my family and from my girlfriend of two years dumping me. Yeah. I didn't know what to do. I went into this cause I had like this huge ego, you know, I had a, <clears throat> I had a full ride scholarship offer from Chapman university. I had, um, I had scholarship offers from CSUN to study tuba performance. Um, I had, all these great things lined up. I had a girlfriend who was also smart. I, you know, marched drum corps. I, you know, was essentially a foster youth that had beat all the odds, but now I'm back in this place. I'm back in the system. Yeah. And and I'm not going to school. I'm not, you know. Kind of feels um, like square one again. Yeah. And I stopped taking showers. I think the longest I went without a shower was like three months probably. But it was so bad. Like, I was just so trapped in my own thoughts. I would sit in my room with all the lights off. It, mind you, it would be like, um, man, it would be like midday, but I'd have the blinds closed. I'd have all the lights in my room turned off. I'd have pizza boxes stacked up to, like, shoulder height next to my bed. Um, just because all I would do is, like, order food and, and play video games. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I hated myself. And, uh, I don't want to make this seem more stoic than it is, but mm-hmm. I had to figure out myself. I had to sit down. I needed that time, even though it, I basically just wasted three years of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed that time to figure out who I am and what. Like I had to sit down and do it for myself. I couldn't, 
I couldn't let other people tell me, oh, you're such a great musician, you're going to do this, or I couldn't let other people tell me, oh, you know, you're not like other foster youth, you're you're this, you're so accomplished, you're this. I had to figure out who I was for me, regardless yeah. of the accolades that other people give me. Yeah. Um, yeah I, had to I, figure out, I had to figure out what my dream was, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's, it's a hard thing, and I feel like it's harder now for like newer generations to kind of go through this and um, you have that, that moment of just uh, when you have things and you either like strip down to your, you know, excuse me, your bare minimum, whether it be like, you know, falling out of a relationship or moving or losing a job that you loved or, you know, you kind of have to, you know, figure out, like, what does it mean to be you? <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, that's a hard, that's a hard question. That's a hard thing to be faced with, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I feel like a lot of people don't really know who they are. They're just doing things or just stuck in the rhythm of trying to get by. And uh, yeah, it's a weird existential question. That's that, uh, it's not yeah. too easy to answer. <laughs> Well, and you know, it's weird now because, uh, well, so I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about, you know, kind of what I discovered and then I'll, I'll tell you about why I think it's odd. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I'm thinking about what, what do I want to be? What's my dream? You know, I, I mean, it's not a constant question I would ask myself, but it's what I would think about most often. What do I want to do? Um, and so, yeah, so for about two years from 19 to 21, I didn't work. I didn't go to school. Um, I really just, and especially when COVID hit, that was like another excuse to stay inside. Um, oh yeah. I developed poor eating habits. I would like, I would go grocery shopping. I would literally spend like $250 on food. And I'd eat all that food in three days, and then I wouldn't eat for like two weeks. Oh wow! Yeah, it it was really really bad. Um, and like I just couldn't figure out what was going on mentally. But mm-hmm. I, what I found that my dream is, isn't actually work. I don't have a dream job. I don't have you know. I have a job that I'd like to do, but it, <laughs> I found what my dream is. <clears throat> is I want to be a dad more than mm. anything. I just want to have my own family. I want to be able to spend time with my kids. Yeah. I want to be a good role model. So I have to become mentally strong, physically strong, and, you know, financially stable. And um, so I went from a music major. I used to be a jazz performance major um, in bass Bone. Now I'm a business major. My goal is to hopefully attend UC Berkeley or San Jose State to do their business program. I want to become a marketer. Um, I could have went the communications route, but I just feel like a business administration degree is a lot more versatile. Uh-huh. So I went with it. Um, you know, I, I want to go to UC Berkeley and I want to, or I, I, honestly, I just want to go to school up there in the Bay Area, try and get a uh, internship with you know, one of those companies in Silicon Valley. 
mm-hmm. and and just go from there. I want to one day own my own, you know, around the time that I'm ready to have kids, maybe in my thirties and whatnot, I want to, uh, I want to be able to have my own marketing consultancy, my own marketing agency, whatever that may be. Um, that way, you know, my schedule is just flexible. I can be with my kids. I can be with my wife, you know, whatever I need to do. So, so yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, you got your whole, your whole plan. Yeah. I, yeah, I had to sit and it took a yeah. long time to figure out. No, that's, that's beautiful though, especially the whole, um, you know, father aspect of it because it, it makes sense you know to wanting yeah. to have your own family and have that sort of stability so something you've lacked yeah. at least from 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 hearing your story thus far yeah and then man this is just my story in foster care man i got stories from when i was younger oh man and some of my roommates some of my other roommates from, from this <laughs> transitional housing grow I had one roommate that would like beat his girlfriend who was like pregnant. And then like, Oh man, that was a whole mess. And and now I'm in this situation. Like, you know, what do I do to help her? And, you know, because a lot of people say, you know, just call the cops, just, you know, protect her. But in my eyes at the time, which I do kind of regret, but in my eyes at the time, I'm looking at him as a fellow like foster kid, you know, I call the cops on him. He goes to jail. Then what? Then he rots and he just becomes another number. Yeah. You know, since then I I've, I've learned from that kind of way of thinking, but it's just, it's a very tough thing to be placed with, especially when you're kind of forced into that situation. I didn't pick him as my roommate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's yeah. just some guy that the the agency, you know, put with me. Um and and that was bad. I just tons of bad roommates, tons of bad experiences. Oh look, let's get into some of what some of the accomplishments I've made now. Right? Yeah. Unless absolutely. unless you have questions about anything. Anything you wanna Um I want to briefly go back and just talk about like the mental health aspect of things let's what, do it what was it about you know being in that situation what were the steps that you kind of took to like help yourself uh, move on from from that place that you were in mentally i'm still in that place man <laughs> okay <laughs> and i don't even mean that like it sounds funny but like what I've realized is time will not wait for me Mm -hmm. regardless of how I feel. I have to get this shit done. Sorry. Did not mean to cuss, but I have to get, I I have to get things done regardless. I don't have time to just wait around and rot. And these things that I want aren't just going to fall into my hands. So while mentally I'm still shaky, I found a certain resolve you know, and knowing I have to get this done, knowing there's no other option, knowing that it's not going to just fall into my hands. Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm at yeah. with it. Um, I, I will say, admittedly, it was a lot worse. Uh-huh. So to kind of to kind of pull. Man, it was just like. 
it was really hard. I was spending holidays alone. Like I spent like three years, no birthday party, no Christmas, no Thanksgiving, like all these holidays I would just spend inside my apartment staring at the wall, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. I, I know how difficult it can be once you're, once you're yeah. in there. Yeah. And, uh, I kind of just had to, how do I put it? I, I want to say it in a way that doesn't just sound like cliche, but mm-hmm. I had to just reach down, you know, and, and, figure, well, I guess my first step in the right direction was I, I got a job, right? I, yeah. I started, I started hanging out with people. I started talking to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was my first step, just becoming social again. Cause I, I love talking. I love hanging out with people. I love being social. Um, and it was something that I didn't do while I was going through this, you know, about with depression. Yeah. Um, and then I stuck with that job for almost two years and just until recently, earlier this year. And now I work for the ITS department at PCC. Right on. Uh, yeah. So I, I would say getting a job, man, that was like, that was a game changer for me. Just yeah. like, and then I think over time, I kind of forgot what I loved doing when I was younger. So I, uh, you know, just remembering what I love doing and, and doing those things and spending time with people that I care about. Yeah. That really like upped my spirits. Um, Were you able to like um, keep in contact or? Yeah. Or... So I was actually out of contact with my main friend group from when I was like 19 till I was about 21. I didn't really start talking to them again um, until then. And I remember my friend saying, like, yeah, you know, my mom would always ask about you. And I'd just say, I don't know. Just because, like, people really didn't know. You know yeah. I, I was off my social media. Um, didn't really text. Well, I didn't have a phone because I couldn't afford to, to pay for a phone line. Oh, yeah, um, that's true. So, yeah, I was really just off the grid. And I was isolated on my own. And if I didn't, I'm telling you, realizing that I wanted to be a dad is what got me out of the situation I was in. That's yeah. like what saved me. Because I, without that, I probably wouldn't have remembered anything. Like remembered, you know, um, like I, I wouldn't have remembered that, you know, my friends are what are what is important to me, and you know that that's what I need in order to, to be happy. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, it's, it's just, it's hard to explain because that's such a broad question. Like, how did you pull yourself back? It's when it's really just, it wasn't even all me at the time. It, like I was saying earlier, it's my friends. It's people mm-hmm. that care about me. The director of the documentary has been there with me every step of the way. Like even when I was, you know, down in the dumps, he would yeah. always come through. He would always, you know, sometimes he'd take me out to eat. He'd give me updates on what's going on. And, you know, stuff like that kept my will to live going. Yeah. Because I felt like I had no purpose, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, you had your own, your own sort of support system. Yeah. Kind of helping you through. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, I have um, I have a really good friend who um, worked in homeless services, and he said uh, in his time working and speaking directly to like clients and people who are homeless and you know going through that experience, he told me the one consistent thing wasn't like drugs or mental health or you know poor fi- uh, poor finances education. He goes, those are all like factors, right? And like some of them you know, are hit and miss with some people, but he's like the main thing that he noticed was that all those people didn't have a support system. Yeah. They didn't have people for, they have friends. They didn't have people that they could go and talk to or rely on. He's like, they didn't have that. And he's like, and that's how they became homeless. That's how they stayed homeless. He's just like, it's that lack of foundation or support group of people that, you know, yeah like allowed them to kind of like fall through the cracks and get into the situation that they're in. So to hear that you did have that support group is, is good, you know, because it's, it's hard to find in a lot of the time. Yeah. I get what you mean. Um, it, it really is, you know, I'm very fortunate. A lot of foster youth, I think only 3% of foster youth right now are graduating from college with a bachelor's degree. So just, Wow. Yeah, think about the amount. Well, and, and California on top of that has the biggest population of foster youth. So wow. we're, we're the biggest state with the least successful, um, you know, group of foster youth. It's really, it's really sad how much we are failing, mm-hmm. you know, our foster kids. Um, I will say one good thing that has come out of this year um gavin newsom just signed a one-year or just signed a one-year budget and in that budget he is making it so all foster youth get to go to csus and ucs for free nice so board meals tuition books everything everything is completely covered it is only for one year but i i see it as a a step in the right direction yeah being able to support all these foster kids yeah, that's that's a chance, you know. It's a chance yeah. that that they'll be able to have to pursue something. Exactly. Yeah, that's a, that's a good that's a good um source of support. Yeah. Um so I wanted to dive into it a little bit. I do have to go here shortly. Um Yeah, yeah. But I I do want to dive into so remember I told you I had another story about my first roommate. Yes. So recently I've joined the board for uh, foster youth project, or sorry, foster care project. Uh, it's a nonprofit organization aiding um, foster youth in the Pasadena and the Pasadena adjacent communities. Mm-hmm. Um, we hosted a breakfast, or you know, kind of like a lunch at something called My Friend's Place over in Hollywood, which supports okay. uh, homeless LGBTQ and, and foster youth. Um, and so, you know, I'm sitting there, I helped make all the sandwiches. We bring the sandwiches there, we're feeding everybody. And then in through the door, we'll call him Michael. We'll, so we'll pretend my roommate's name is Michael. Okay. After I had no contact with him, after I had not heard from him, mind you, I was 19. This is four years later. He is, he walks in through the door with a kid, with mm. his girlfriend, and and they're here getting help and 
that just kind of felt like a full circle moment because he's two years older than me. So that means he's around 25, 26 right now. Yeah. He is homeless and getting support for him, his kid, and his partner. That could be me. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of, even though I've pulled myself out of the mud a little bit, I've wiped the mud off, you know, wiped what was holding me back. Even though I've done all that, it could still happen to me. I am not immune to that outcome. Yeah. Um, and that's why I have to keep working. I just thought it, it, to me, that was like a, he saw me and he recognized me immediately. I recognized him immediately. And I was just like, wow, you know, it's, it's been years. And we sat and we talked for only like 15 seconds. I think he was kind of embarrassed Mm. to see me there. Um, but I, I felt bad. Yeah. That's a really sad situation to be in. And. Um, I hope he gets along for the better. Yeah. But I just guess to show that, you know, foster youth can end up doing so many things. You could either end up on, on the good side or the, you know, the bright side of things where you figured it out, you've, you've handled your business or you, you know, you're stuck in that, um, kind of in that perpetual, I want to call it like hell. Like it's a cycle. Yeah. Um, you know, where you're, you're constantly getting help from these different organizations and it's only enough to help you in the moment, but none of it's ever enough to kind of help you get back on your feet and help you get running again. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just wish the best for him and I hope it all works out, but you know, everybody has their own story and they got to write it how they want it to go. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, yeah, it's a, that's unfortunate, but you know, at least you, you remembered him and you're able to like recognize. Yeah. It was, that was probably, it was kind of a sad moment, but it was also like a, like an eye opening, you know, that could be me at any time. Just because I'm at where I'm at now doesn't mean that can be me in two years. Yeah, absolutely. It's um perspective, you know. It's, it's a it's yeah, a, exactly. Yeah, it's a big perspective. But yeah, yeah, no, I I appreciate you for coming on and telling me about your journey. Um, please tell me more about the the documentary. Uh, let everyone know where they can yeah, see it or where to expect it. Yeah. So. Uh documentary anybody who's listening if you want to check it out go to possible selves um just everything spelled normally no capitals no spaces um possible selves with a v i know i've had some people spell selves s-e-l-f-s and i'm just like did you ever go to english class but <laughs> uh yeah. yeah yeah so possible selves movie pbs in 2024 UCLA event in November. Everybody is welcome. I'll keep you guys updated with that as well, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. If you have any anything else that you want to share, you know, feel free to message me and I'll keep it included with the episode. Okay, of course. Thank you so much, man. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on and you know, I hope to stay in touch and hear more about you and your journey that you're going through. Of course. Thank you, man. Have a good day. You too. Thank you.
And there you have it. Another wonderful guest of the podcast and their journey thus far. I really appreciate Alex for coming on and sharing his story. And also for his earnest realization that he's still not out of the muck yet and has to stay resilient to keep pushing forward. I really want to encourage you all to take a look at the documentary Possible Selves and where you can watch it. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. And until next time, remember to stay present and aware of your surroundings. Take a deep breath in, a long breath out, and tell yourself, you are here. Much love. You Are Here is brought to you by That Most Excellent Network. Stay updated on future podcasts and other various releases through our social media. Your love and support ensures our ability to bring bigger and better quality content your way. For more information about being a guest, you can contact us at youareherepodtalk at gmail.com. Again, that's youareherepodtalk at gmail.com. We'd love to share the ability to hold space and tell your story. Stay excellent.